You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. Uh, This week, Sarah and I have something actually really special. So I'm actually glad I'm introducing this week, which is the opposite of what I say. (laughs) Usually we're like, oh, shit, it's me. We're like, oh, fuck, it's me. Um, But this week, actually, we're talking about a really fascinating woman that I knew zero about up until like this past week when I was researching her. Same. Um, but I want to dedicate this episode to my coworker Ashley and her soon-to-be hubby um, Trevor. I almost called you Travis. I don't even know why. So shout out to you guys. I don't remember if you guys are getting married this weekend or next weekend. Either way, uh, Trevor decided. I don't know. Back when we first started the podcast, to like kind of listen as Ashley was listening. And Ashley would like text me or like message me or stop by my room and be like, oh, my God, we were listening and blah, 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 blah. So (laughs) he suggested that we do Doris Duke as an episode. And so I figured what better way to, you know, celebrate their nuptials than by talking about this crazy fucking heiress. So, yes. um, Yeah, no, it's great. So we're going to go through some really, really cool stuff today. I'm really pumped. Sarah is going to start us off. Yes. And uh, I'm going to let her take it away. Okay. So I'm going to talk a little bit about Doris Duke, who I don't think I had ever heard of. I don't feel like I have. I'm bad at similar names. So I keep being like Daisy Duke, but no, Doris Duke. I keep thinking Doris Day. So like, you're fine. (laughs) Everybody Uh, asked me, I was like, Doris Duke. Yeah. (laughs) Someone. So uh, Doris Duke is born in New York City in 1912. And she's the only child of a very wealthy tycoon named James Buchanan Duke and his second wife, Nanaline Holt Inman. Um, The only thing they tell me about Nanaline is she is the widow of William Patterson Inman. So it's both of their second marriage. The father is wealthy from both tobacco and hydroelectric power. So he's just like all over the place, right? Really early 1900s, doing shit, making a ton of money. So when she's 13 in 1925, he dies and he leaves the majority of his $100 million estate to Doris and his wife. Um, He does leave about $17 million to a Duke endowment, which I figure out about three pages into my research is why Duke University is called Duke University. That endowment is to them. That's it. Um, I like write this whole thing about Duke University and then I was like, huh, that's the same name. And then I figured it out. So I knew that, but when you said Duke endowment, I literally went to like, oh, he gave money to a Duke? Like, not right. even thinking fucking no. Duke, which I know. Um, but yeah, no, I literally went to thinking he gave it to like a royal Duke, Right. So. Who doesn't need it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he leaves most of his money to Doris for when she's an adult and his wife, and then a chunk to Duke University. Um, the total value of his estate has been estimated a few different ways. I saw mostly $100 million. Um, which is the equivalent of about 1.4 billion today. Okay. Wow. That's so lots of money. Insane. Most of that came from his holdings in the American Tobacco Company mm-hmm. and a company that came to be known as the Duke Power Company. Okay. So those are the two things where most of his money's coming from. So while she's growing up, they live at Duke Farms, which is a 2,700 acre estate in Hillsborough Township, New Jersey. 
Yeah, that's yeah. where I teach, which I probably maybe shouldn't put on the air, but who gives a shit? It's fine. <laughs> um, and so there's a couple things in his will that are a little ambiguous. And so a couple years after he dies, there's a lawsuit filed specifically to prevent any auctioning or selling of real estate that he owned mm. so that the, the farms had to stay. And basically, she successfully sues her mother and other executors to prevent the sale. It's yeah. obviously someone on her behalf. She's a teenager at the time. But it's kind of protected for her through this lawsuit. Yeah. One of the pieces of real estate in question is a Manhattan mansion, which later becomes the Institute of Fine Arts at NYU. So oh. they're like rolling in it. Also, I did just uh, want to know like his compare like comparative worth to Jeff Bezos. And uh, I just want to die. Nothing. Because it's, Jeff Bezos is, is worth, it says his net worth was two. Oh, 2.3 billion as of friday yeah no this duke man is nothing to him yeah he's, no he's a pauper <laughs> yes that's disgusting capitalism sucks yep so doris turns 18 and she's actually six feet tall i found a couple oh. of notes but she's like beautiful and so she does her debutante ball right kind of all the society stuff she's supposed to do mm -hmm. and as she gets a little bit older, so when she turns 21, 25, and 30, her father's trusts are kind of paid out in large chunks to her. Okay. So and she so, doesn't get it all as like one lump sum at 12 years old. Right. They're paid out at different times. Probably a smart idea. But from the time she's 18, she's referred to a lot as like the world's richest girl, right? Like she's known exclusively mm -hmm. for being very rich. Yeah. I saw that come up a lot in my research. Yeah. Too. This is funny because it told me early on in the research, like her mom dies years later and leaves her jewelry and a coat. And I was like, well, comparatively, that's a fucking ripoff, right? Like <laughs> later you find out the mom left her a ton of money. So it's fine. She's very rich from all sides, basically. Like, Could you imagine suing your mother, though, for like money? How much right? money? She... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, I can imagine. <laughs> I mean, Quick side note. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, for a few billion bucks, maybe. That's crazy, You're trying though. to sell my shit. I know, but, like, it just seems so, like, this woman birthed you? Like, literally I, yeah. grew you. And you're like, mm, I'm going to sue you because you're not entitled to this, like, wealth. Yeah. Well, I also wonder. So, the mom seems to have other children from her previous marriage. And okay. I wonder when she died, right? She probably split that up. But I wonder if Doris was like, well, that was from my dad that you were so, you know? Oh, that's actually a very good point. Okay. I will yeah. sort of renege my previous comment. Yeah. So I don't know. But the next section of this is literally just a list of like random wild rich people interests. <laughs> so as soon as she turns 18, it's like she uses her wealth to pursue a variety of interests. A lot of it is travel. She's said basically throughout her life, like, as soon as she gets somewhere, she wants to be somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. She's very, like, wanderlusty. Um, so she does a lot of traveling. She does a lot of, like, patronage of the arts. During World War II, she actually works in a canteen for sailors in Egypt um, and oh. takes a salary of only $1 a year. So she does some, like, helping out during the war effort. Why does she need to take a salary at all? I feel like there was probably some legal thing like to be considered an employee or to be considered like helping the effort or whatever, you know? Yeah, that's true. I feel like, like there's just fucking volunteer, babe. Just volunteer. I mean, yeah, but she only takes a dollar a year. It's fine. <laughs> um, she learns fluent French. She has a short career as an international correspondent during the war where she's like oh my God. flying to locations and reporting on location. 
And then the war ends. She moves to Paris and writes for Harper's Bazaar. Okay. See, that I could see her doing because yeah. I feel like that's more in her wheelhouse, but like a fucking correspondent. Like, Yeah, she's just like doing whatever she can. And I don't think that means that she's not smart. It just kind of feels like, I don't know, I kind of get this like, I bought this position vibe. Yeah, like I want to try this. Yes, Let me try exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to be a news reporter. But like, also she's like all location. So she's like going to war areas. And I'm I like, know that's true. I'm just shitting. I don't know what's happening with my feminism today. I'm sorry. No, I think I'm broken. Rich. It's fine. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think it's the rich part of it. Yeah. It's the super rich. Um, But she gets better. Don't worry. Um, oh. She... <laughs> <laughs> she at some point lives in Hawaii and she becomes the first non-Hawaiian woman to take up competitive surfing under this surfing champion and Olymp- Olympic swimmer who like trains her along with his brothers. And also fucks her because I'm 99.9% sure. sure that that was like one of her lovers. And he's also, I bring him up a little bit later, but yeah, he's like the dude that literally made surfing like a mainstream mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, I have a little Yeah, and so she's too. the first non-like native Hawaiian woman to do that competitively. She also loves animals, so she has dogs and pet camels. Oh. <laughs> um, right. That's Casual. Says. In particular her dogs and pet camels. Okay. Like that's a jump though. Like Right. I thought you were going to be like parakeets or something yeah, like that's like, a little obscure. Maybe a like peacock not... running around the mansion, but no, camels. Right. <laughs> um she does eventually become like a wildlife refuge supporter, so animals or something. Mm-hmm. She learned to play piano. She loved jazz music. She sang in a gospel choir. Like, it's literally just a wild list of things she likes to do. Like, I think it's got to be crazy, though, because, like, you must get so fucking bored. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, I spend 40 plus hours a week working just so I can have basic things like, a, right. you know, a house and food. But, yep. like, she doesn't have to do shit. Yeah, no. So she can do whatever. And so she's just like trying everything. Yeah, it's gotta be so crazy to me. Yeah, one of her big interests is horticulture. Um, And so she's friends with this guy named Louis Bromfield. And he owns a farm in Ohio that eventually becomes a state park. But Mm -hmm. she was like a big investor in it and helped with the maintenance and stuff. So this is one that she actually it's not like a passing interest. The, The horticulture goes places. Right. So when she was 46, she actually started the creation of a, quote, exotic public display garden in mm. honor of her father, which is apparently plants and not like a sex show, which is what it so sounds it's like. Exotic public display garden. <laughs> garden could be literally like, anything. Yeah. But it is. So it's a conservatory extended off of the Duke Farms. In New yeah, Jersey. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that's in Borough. Like, yes. I'm 99.9% positive that's where Yeah, it, was. it yeah. like, extends off their land, and it's made up of 11 interconnected gardens that mm-hmm. were full-scale recreations of various, like, themes, countries, periods. Like, it was very intense. That's cool. And she actually... It's like the Disney World of Flowers. That's the yes. vibe I'm getting. And she is very hands-on. So, like, all elements of these gardens, from the architecture to the art to the botany itself are designed by her and a lot of it like reflects her travels right so like she'd been to this place and wanted x y or z to be brought in and she was known to work up to like 16 hours a day building these gardens so she thought you were gonna say a week and i was gonna be like wow no 16 she would work 16 hour (laughs) days like out in these gardens so she was very hands-on with it in addition she was very into art and so she had an extensive art collection 
Mm-hmm. Um, most of which was Islamic and other Southeast Asian art. Like that was where most of it came from. It later gets sold into galleries and collections and things like that. Yeah, um, she has like a weird obsession with that, right? Like not yes. like that whole I guess what is it? Like East as I guess you're right, Southeast Asia, like Buddhist. Yeah. She's yeah. very into that. Like it must have been somewhere she traveled and connected with or whatever. Right. Um so she incorporates a lot of this art into the gardens as well. But this is kind of what she spends her days doing. She also has an entire section on her Wikipedia called Homes, <laughs> which is literally just like all the different houses she owned. Oh, my God. Did um, you make a list of them? Oh, yes. Fuck yeah. I'm literally like, cool. I just like sold my dining room table to make room for my office. But here's her list of her houses. <laughs> um so her primary residence throughout her life was Duke Farms, her dad's 2,700-acre estate in New Jersey, mm-hmm. also where the gardens were. That was always kind of her home base. Yeah. But like I said, she didn't like to be in one place for long, and she would get kind of bored. So she spent most of her summer weekends um, in a 49-room manor in Newport, Rhode Island, hmm. where she worked on the Newport Restoration Foundation. So she like had work she did out there. I have some serious tea on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, she she also had an estate in Hawaii that she called Shangri-La. That's what I was thinking of, that she named yep. that place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. she named it Shangri-La. And yep. she also had an estate in Beverly Hills that she named Falcon's Lair. What? I don't know. I love naming houses, though. It's That's great. That's cool as fuck. Right? Falcon's Lair? That mm-hmm. sounds like either a superhero or a supervillain. Exactly. I love it. She also owned two apartments in Manhattan. So she owned a nine-room penthouse that had a thousand-square-foot veranda on it. Christ and she Christ also Christ. owned an apartment nine- near Times Square that wasn't used as a residence. It was an office for her, like, financial management team. So she actually hated managing money herself. Like, she didn't want to be involved, basically. And mm. so she had a team of people who did it, and they operated out of this Times Square apartment. Wow. In order to easily travel between these homes or go on trips and, like, go collect her art and her plants and all that, she got a customized Boeing 737 for herself. Oh, my God. That's so the, insane. Yeah, the interior was entirely customized and included a replica of her bedroom. So, like, there was just a full bedroom inside the plane. <laughs> the question is, which bedroom? Did she I, replicate her bedroom everywhere? I wonder that. I feel like probably Duke Farms, right? Like, yeah. that was her main one. That's my guess. But it just said it was made to look like a bedroom at home. And she was known, again, to be a very, like, hands-on homeowner. Like, her staff would find her climbing scaffolding up, like, three, you know, three levels to clean tiles that were on murals and stuff like that. Like, she wanted to do it herself. Um, And she managed a lot of the gardens, right? Uh, Three of those homes today are still maintained by her foundation and have, like, public access of some sort. But basically, she was just a really rich heiress who, like, didn't have anything direct to do, so had a bunch of hobbies, most of which were, like, gardens and art, and spent her life on that. Yeah. Yeah, she was, I've also seen her described as being, like, completely fucking erratic, like. I'm sure. And apparently, she also had this, like, oh, shit, what is that phrase? It's like, oh, God. It's not, like, penny pincher. It's, like. What, do you know what I'm saying? Where it's like you, Nick, ah, oh, shit. It's like. Are you saying she was cheap? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In the simplest term, she was cheap. But there's that one specific term that I can't think of and I'm so mad. I don't know. Oh, shit. It's going to bother me. 
It's like she was like always counting like penny wise, but a dollar foolish. That's what uh, it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would like nickel and dime every little fucking thing, but then she'd like spend like thousands of, do- of dollars on shit that's like right on a Boeing 377 correct with a replicated with a replicated bedroom exactly right. exactly um so her personal life was also fairly crazy it i'm seemed. sure so she married two times in her 80 years that she was alive but the people that she was quote-unquote involved with are like all over the fucking place so like of the two times she was married Okay, but there are so many people that she was, like, sleeping with with and had affairs with and shit. So it's very, very, uh, like I said, erratic. So the first time that she got married was in 1935. So she's, what, like, 20? Yeah, 23. 23, yeah. Uh, To James H.R. Cromwell, who was the son of Ava Stotesbury and the stepson of Edward T. Stotesbury. I'm pretty sure Cromwell was the mayor of Halloween Town, but okay. <laughs> I think I just broke because all I can think about. Or wait, that... no, it wasn't the mayor. That was the grandma. Oh my god, Calabar was cr- the mayor, but yes, Cromwell was the family Cromwell name. Witch, yeah, yes. Oh, oh my god, all I can think about is the giant pumpkin that like loses its light. <laughs> um, I follow. Is it Marnie? Yes, I think it's, the, it's Marnie and then the little sister. I it's forget like Jamie Brown or no Kimberly J. Brown. Yeah, I follow her and the one that plays the little sister on TikTok, and I just Good. like love it. I love um, Marnie runs an Etsy <laughs> shop where she just sells like Halloween Town cricket products. It's great. Wait, that's so cool. Yeah, if I had a cricket, I would purchase things. That's fair. From her. Um. Okay. So. I don't even know what the fuck just happened. So sorry. Um, a, I realized when I looked at the outline, I was supposed to stop in the middle for you to talk, and I didn't do that. And okay. B, I got distracted by Halloween Town. It's totally fine. Okay, so Cromwell, mm-hmm. like I was saying, was basically um the son of a really prominent investment banker and partner in Philly's Drexel and Company, as well as the New York affiliate J.P. Morgan and Company. Cool. So we're talking money here. Cromwell, which I found this so fucking weird. Uh, no, actually, this kind of is like those super rich people that are like more left leaning because yeah. they are. I don't know. Money is like not an object to them, kind mm-hmm. of. So both Cromwell and Duke were really big advocates of FDR and his New Deal. Uh, And so he actually used um, Doris to Doris, right? Oh, my God. I almost forgot her name because I kept calling her Duke in my research. But then I felt weird to say Duke. So I don't know. Yeah, I think I just called her Doris like we were friends. Yeah, no. And I think I wanted to do that. But then I just got cold at some point and then everything became Duke. Um, And so he actually Cromwell ended up using her money to like fortune. I'm sorry, to finance his political career. Okay, And. In 1940, he ended up serving several months as the U.S. ambassador to Canada, and he ran unsuccessfully for the U.S. Senate. Uh, The two had a daughter on July 13th, 1940, who they named Arden, but sadly, she actually was born prematurely and she died the following day. Um, And that's literally the only sentence I could find about Doris Duke's daughter. That's all I saw, too. But I do love the name Arden. I do, too. And normally I hate what rich people name their children, but like- this was really beautiful. So. Yeah. 
Um, so the couple later went on to have a really, really brutal divorce three years later. Um, and there actually wasn't a lot of detail as to why. I, I'm imagining it's just because they were both disgustingly wealthy. It's yeah. like, I don't even know how do you divide that type of wealth, right? Like, yeah. is Cromwell entitled to anything? Who the fuck knows? Right. So a few yeah, years Yeah, and I don't later, know if they really did like prenups then, you know? So it's funny you say that because actually the next husband she has, <laughs> she does have a prenup Okay, with. so she learns. Uh-huh, yeah. So while she's visiting Paris four years later on September 1st, 1947, uh, Doris became the third wife of Porfirio Rubirosa, okay. who was a diplomat, race car driver, soldier, <laughs> and polo player from the Dominican <laughs> so Republic. So he's just as weird as her. Oh, yeah. Like, all over the place. Yeah. Um, he was also a supporter of Rafael Trujillo, um, and he was rumored to be a political assassin under Trujillo's regime Sweet. in the Dominican Republic, I think. I forget, but I think Trujillo is. Hold on. Trujillo. I've been watching a lot of Jane the Virgin, so oh, okay. I feel like my Spanish has really improved. That's fair. It hasn't. But um, you feel like it has. Right. Exactly. It feels better to say things in mm -hmm. a Spanish not accent, but, you know. Yeah. So he was, like, a really polarizing figure in the Dominican Republic. Um, and he, like, had a stupid long rule. And so the fact that her second husband was, like, kind of politically affiliated with him was kind of a little bit of a problem. So right. he was also... <laughs> this is, like, the quote I found about Ruby Rosa. So it's, quote... He was known as an international playboy for his jet-setting lifestyle and his legendary sexual prowess with women. Quote. Cool. So after I vomited profusely, uh -huh. I continued reading to find that he reportedly, like, divorced his second wife. <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Because Doris paid her, and her, she was an actress, Danielle Derue. Mm -hmm. Doris paid her $1 million to just fucking leave. <laughs> just okay. Like, like, when Ruby Rose was like, yeah, I think I'm out of this marriage. And Danielle was like, nah. Doris was like, listen up. You get, here's a cool million dollars. Get yeah. the fuck out. Agree to an uncontested divorce. And I love that's it. what she did. I love it. Um, I know. It's like <laughs> the things people do with their money. Yeah. <laughs> so because of her extreme wealth and because of the failed marriage the first time around, uh, Duke's marriage to Ruberosa actually attracted the attention of the U.S. State Department, and she was highly cautioned against using any of her money to promote any type of political agenda because people were not a fan in the United States of Trujillo. So what they actually did was set up like a prenup because I guess what the U.S. government was worried about was that like in the event of her death, some type of foreign government would gain too much leverage and wealth. And so they had to set up a prenup that was like, hey, if we divorce or I die, you can't have any of this money and give it to the government. Okay. But during the marriage, she actually ended up giving Ruperosa like several million dollars in gifts, including like a stable of polo ponies, sports cars, um, a converted B-25 bomber. Sure. I don't know what it was fucking converted into or yeah. like what but um and then in the divorce settlement um ruby rosa got a 17th century house that she owned in paris so, like why not what the fuck so this is actually one of my favorite segments other than the next one i'm gonna go into okay good this is where i talk about all of the lovers that she reportedly had in her lifetime and yes. this is just like this isn't even all this is I, I would imagine like a fraction. So, right. This is the ones we know. 
Correct. Yeah. And so they all actually, I love that you kind of, I'm actually glad you introduced her interests first Mm -hmm. because you mentioned a couple people and things that are so directly tied to some of the people that she was with. So like, I'm kind of stoked about it. Yeah. Okay. I just took a sip of my water. Let's do this. Okay. First off, Duke Kanamoku. No, Kahanamoku. Mm -hmm. Duke Kahanamoku, who was the native Hawaiian competition swimmer who also popularized the ancient Hawaiian sport known as surfing. Who? So Doris Duke dated Duke. Oh, cute. They could he could have right? been Duke Duke. I was just thinking that. Like, I know that's not sure. how like names usually work, but he could have been Duke Duke. But that's how you would want it to be because yeah. he's so rich. You would change your name. Right. Um, the next guy was named Errol Flynn. So my immediate thought Wait. was the owl. <laughs> Oh, that's really okay, because I was like, no, I know that name. Yes, that name is from Harry Potter. But isn't and Errol because... Flynn an actor? It, yes, yes, he is. Okay. He's an Australian actor, and he had a mustache that rivaled Clark Gables, and Ooh. I just made that up, but he did have a mustache that rivaled Clark Gables, but no one actually said it at the time. Okay. Um, I don't just, think It was just an... understood. Errol Flynn today. I don't think there is an Errol Flynn today. What do you mean? Oh. Well, because he's dead, probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like a modern. No, actor I named just Errol feel like Flynn. I knew the name. No, no, that's right. You're right. Um, let's he's see. Cute. He was in he is cute, right? His nickname was the Tasmanian Devil. Uh he was a Gemini <laughs> and he was six feet one and a quarter inches. So just a little taller than her. Yeah. So like I said, mustache, Australian accent, maybe some some money. Um, another guy was Alec Cunningham Reed, who was a British World War I flying ace who, after the war, entered politics and served as a member of parliament from 1922 to 1945. Okay. So definitely older than her um, by a lot. I mean, what, she was born in 1912 and World War I broke out in 1914. So at yeah. least probably 18 to 20 years older than her. Cool, cool. Um, I could not believe my fucking eyes when I read this one. I actually squealed because I am so fucking weird. Okay. Um, General George S. Patton, who was the infamous general in the U.S. Army. He was a major part of both World War I and World War II specifically. Um, and he was major in the liberation of France and Germany after D-Day. So, like, normal people don't really know who the fuck George S. Patton is, which is fine. But I specifically I, yeah, I do teach not. him. Yeah, no, like there was no glint of recognition <laughs> like no. whatsoever in your voice or eyes or anything. I was just I was like, like, okay, okay so. George Patton. Yeah, sure. I was like, cool, cool. It's just me. It's just me. Yeah, um, it's just but, you. But yeah, so he actually helped uh, modernize tank warfare in World War I. Um, and then in World War II, he was known for his like really brutal nature with his soldiers. He actually slapped a soldier who was struggling with PTSD. Oh, cool. And FDR pulled him and was like, bro, we don't fucking hit our soldiers. Yeah, like, how about no? Um, And then he was also a part of the secret plan that made D-Day possible because Hitler was convinced that Patton was actually going to invade somewhere else in France. Okay. And so Hitler, like, monitored him in that area and just totally kind of blew off where they were actually going on Normandy Beach and ended up, like obviously fucking around and that's how they were able to liberate france so nice. anyway i couldn't fucking believe that they were like lovers or whatever i was like fangirling over that <laughs> uh then we have joe castro who was 
An American bebop jazz pianist. Okay, so when you were excited, you were like, I'm excited about the next one. I accidentally skipped one down too far. And so I thought you were really excited about Joe Castro, the bebop jazz pianist, which is probably why there was no, like, nothing on my face. Because I was just like, okay. I don't know. What does bebop piano piano playing sound like? Bebop. I, I don't I, know. Bebop. Bebop. Be, not baby bebop. Bebop. I'm just singing Mbop in my head. Bebop jazz. Okay, so there's no definition. Oh, bebop or bop is a style of jazz developed in the early to mid 40s, which features compositions characterized by a fast tempo, complex chord progressions. See, okay, I don't know just... enough about music. I'm like, isn't that just jazz? I was just going to say, so it's fast jazz? Is that? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, also, we have Louis Bromfeld, who you fucking mentioned. Yes. So Our he was an American. Friend. Yes. So it's cool because he was actually an author first, and then he was a conservationist. Uh, he had a best-selling novel in the 1920s, and then he, like, reinvented himself as a farmer in the late 1930s, which, like, okay, is so fucking cool. So he reinvents yeah. himself, and then... Like, not only does this dude win a fucking Pulitzer, he founds, like, an experimental farm, which plays a huge role in, like, the early environmental movement into what, like, eventually be, like, the 50s and 60s. But he's kind of, like, the OG of that, um, which is also interesting because you said that she's a huge conservationist, and that's actually yeah. where she learns it from. Yeah. And then, yeah, so those are her several i mean they're all over the place we have an author and a farmer right. a bebop jazz pianist a general a fucking, like so meddled war general i don't know what the like decorated decorated yeah metal <laughs> it's fine. Metal. we have an australian actor a british world war one flying ace like what <laughs> and then a fucking native hawaiian competitive swimmer who reinvents like surfing. modern day surfing yeah like that is the most all over the place repertoire of men. <laughs> I, like, not to, to mention her. her husband, who was like a political assassin. Right, right. Who was like a sex god too, but like yeah, just, her sex like, god political then, assassin husband. And then Cromwell, who was probably a witch. Yeah, okay, <laughs> definitely a witch for sure. And so I, I mean, just all over the place, fantastic shit. So yeah, so those are some of the men with whom she bedded. No, no, not with whom, who she bedded. Yeah, whom she bedded. <laughs> with whom. <laughs> so the next man I'm about to talk about. Yes. Is not what I expected at all. So. I didn't we'll read it, with... so I'm very excited. Okay, good. Don't. So like, you know, Sarah and I will be straight with you in that. Like when we decide on a topic, we always check Wikipedia to see how should we split up the the information. Yeah, like right? the basic head, like. Right. Headlines like this, or whatever. Like the sections. Yeah. And yeah. like sometimes we use Wikipedia. Sometimes we find other shit. But it's just a nice way to divide the research. Yeah. To be fair, I always use Wikipedia. I just sometimes <laughs> find other shit. <laughs> I'm like 50-50. I always use um, Wikipedia for the outline. And then when there's like interesting stuff, I go in and fill it in. Or if I can't find something or whatever, I like fill yes. in the blanks that way. Yeah. I go on like tangents that way. Yeah, exactly. Too. So when we were dividing it up, I just saw the this heading, Death of Eduardo Torella or Torella. Oh, shit. I should have looked this up. I'm going to say Torella. Mm -hmm. 
Even though I know the double L is a lie, but I'm going to say Torella because I'm white as fuck. Mm -hmm. So when I first saw this category, I was like, oh, this like important person in her life died. I'm so fascinated. Yeah, I figured it would be like a husband or something, but clearly not. Me too. Oh, no. So this is basically like the best treat I've ever gotten when I was reading about someone because I literally didn't have any fucking clue on Doris Duke. Like I was like, oh, I've been to her farm. But this is about to become a fucking true crime episode which is so exciting so i'm going to now talk to you about the death of eduardo torella okay first off who the fuck was eduardo torella (laughs) so he was the interior designer that had worked as the curator for doris duke's art holdings for like 10 plus years um and in 1966 at the age of 42 he basically decided that he no longer wanted to work for Doris and instead he was more interested in pursuing a career in Hollywood to work as like a production designer. And this is also where it's important to kind of note too that this is like a really big reminder that Doris was like a pretty shitty like I don't want to say person but like friend slash individual like mm-hmm. outside of all the good stuff that she will eventually do um, or does throughout her life. So Oh, my God. Okay, so on October 6th, Torella flew to Newport, where Duke was staying at Rough Point, which feels like a weird name, but whatever. Um, It's like not as cool as Falcon's Ridge or whatever the fuck. But um, so Rough Point is the name of her house in Newport. And so he goes there because he needs to collect his belongings and then also let Duke know that he's going to leave her employment, move out west, start a new career. And apparently his friends had warned him that she was going to lose her fucking shit. Like, they were like, bro, you got to be careful. She's going to be really pissed when you, like, tell her. So just, like, heads up. So this is where shit gets bonkers. Okay. Around 5 p.m. on October 7th, the two of them make their way, like, down and out of the estate. Now, this is just after the staff in Rough Point had overheard both of them having, quote, a loud and lengthy argument just before they went to leave the the room that they were in and then the estate itself so they so, had this argument then got in a car together correct so okay. this is like 5 p.m right so it's still it's october so there's still enough light there's really no excuse for what's about to happen so the two make their way out of the estate down the driveway in a rented dodge polera torella drives the two down the driveway then he gets out to open the mansion's front gates and duke slides over to the driver's seat to like drive the car out of the gates and then they would close the gates and drive off. Okay, so like she was doing that so he could close the gate. Yes, because they didn't like have a like weird... they didn't have like a key fob, right? So right, okay, exactly. Yeah, and there was no like gate man. It's right. Like, so I'm picturing literally. It, yeah. Right. So she literally says, according to Duke, quote, "It was something we'd done a hundred times before." So apparently, it was a common occurrence. As he opened the gates, she would usually like drive the car through them. He would close them. Then he'd get back in and start driving again. On this afternoon, it goes terribly fucking wrong oh my supposedly does she run him over oh my god okay so duke... i'm waiting i'm waiting i'm good <laughs> so duke later told police that torella had left the engine running with the parking brake engaged and the transmission in park okay she then slid over to the driver's seat which is like i had to think like how the fuck do you slide over to the driver's seat and then i remember it's the 60s yeah so like... it was like bench seats mm-hmm he'd put like your infant in the front seat and shit it was well, like yeah. crazy and then she released the parking brake and shifted the car into drive. But rather than putting her foot on the brake pedal to coast, she hit the gas. So 
<laughs> According to the New York Daily News report, the car, quote, struck the heavy 15 foot high, 20 foot wide wrought iron gate with such force that the gate sprang open. Several inch square, five long, uh, five foot long sections of iron were torn out. The car, dragging Torella's crumpled body, lurched across two-laned Bellevue Ave and hit a large tree. Oh. So the vehicle, yeah, had pinned Torella against the still opening gates, knocked the gates over, then dragged his body across the road, and they struck a tree that was across the Bellevue Ave. Jesus. His, his body was found underneath the car, and he was pronounced dead at the scene due to serious injuries, fucking obviously, because he'd been dragged by a fucking a car. car. So when police arrive, quote, Duke was found nearly seemingly in a fog. Oh, sorry. Duke was found nearby, seemingly in a fog, bleeding from head wounds. Now, I was reading some reports that they actually found her like roaming the fucking house, like just like muttering to herself. Like, Interesting. there's like one report that's like, I killed Ed. Like, I oh. like I ran him down or whatever. But like, that was one report that like people couldn't necessarily like corroborate yeah so she receives 30 stitches for cuts to her lip and chin and she's released from the hospital but it's another two days after the incident that the police even interview her okay okay so her physician dr philip k McAllister, and i want you to remember that name okay because it's gonna be really fucking important i'm excited told reporters and police that she was in shock and said that it was like perfectly normal for her to be acting that way because she just watched her friend die. Right. Which um, sounds legit. Which sounds legit. Um, and then he says that subjecting Duke to police questions so soon after the tragedy would have been inhuman. Well, or okay. Inhumane. But that seems a little. It might have just been ridiculous. useless, not inhumane. Right. But okay. Right. So the autopsy on Torella shows that he had died from a brain hemorrhage as well as multiple fractures and internal injuries from being hit and then dragged by the car. According to the Newport Police Chief Joseph Raddus, Duke, uh, Joseph Raddus, Duke told them that, quote, suddenly the car leaped forward and I was on top of him. Okay. okay. Now's a good time to mention that the account that Duke gave is literally not at all accurate to any of their reevaluation of evidence at the scene. Okay. Everything that she said, like, happened, they mm -hmm. like, reported didn't could not. Exactly. Like, they said there's no way that this could have actually been the case. Oh. So, the police investigation was super slow. It took them, like, like I said, two days to even talk to the main witness slash accidental, accidental killer. Right. Um, and this fact concerned the Rhode Island Attorney General, Joseph, sorry, J. Joseph Nugent. Nugent. I, I almost said Nugget. I think Nugent. That's nugget. like how Ted Nugent spells his name. Okay. Okay. So Nugent. Okay. Uh, who quickly announced that he would ask police for a full report. And he told reporters that, quote, this is an extraordinary case. I can make a judgment independent of the police in the matter if necessary. So he's basically like, we're not going to let this rich bitch get away with. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like, I already friends. decided. Exactly. But because of the slow speed and the players involved, there was like rising speculation that duke had actually been drunk at the time and it wasn't actually an accident like she claimed but <laughs> this is where it's important to remember dr McAllister. okay dr McAllister was the state's acting medical examiner and this so was he, her doctor yep so i'm gonna okay. i'm gonna go into even more fucking detail about okay. him dude this this story was i just sat in researches for like two hours it was Good. crazy so 
He claimed that Duke being drunk behind the wheel was unthinkable, quote unquote, and quote, there was no evidence of alcohol in either Duke or Torella. But he didn't they not so- look at her for like two days? Well, he examined her at the hospital, gave her the stitches, and he was like, no, 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 she didn't come in drunk. But again- I mean, not that you trust him, but in theory, they did an evaluation. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, And I don't know if they had, like, breathalyzers or anything back then. Yeah, or, like, blood alcohol level. Yeah. Right. Like, so I imagine they just have to go off of, quote, the honor system and- Like, behavior. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, like, like, behavior, your breath, things like that, maybe. Right. Exactly. So he says that there was, quote, no evidence of alcohol in either Duke or Torella, and he even went so far as to say, quote, wealth does not bring happiness, and I'm convinced that enormous wealth brings great handicaps. You know, I'm willing to check. So, like, I'm fine. If you want to throw some extreme wealth my way, and, like, I'll let Right, I'll get back to you and let you know if there yep. are some great handicaps. After I pay off my student loans, my mortgage, my yeah. medical bills, my We'll you see know. if I run anyone over. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So after the slow and short investigation, which was only five days long, that's it, five days. So it was not only which when they said it was slow, I was like, what? But basically they just weren't like really examining much evidence or anything like that. Mm-hmm. The police declared the crash an unfortunate accident. Okay. All right. So Torella's family sues Duke for wrongful death. They were rewarded $75,000, which is about $473,000 in today's money. They actually sued for sued her for a lot more, but the amount was like successfully whittled down by all of her lawyers. And then the money, the 75K, was split between Torella's eight siblings because he didn't have any children. He was actually gay. Um, okay. And I don't think he had a partner or anything that would have necessarily gotten the money. Right. But all of his siblings split the money. Okay. But as I'm sure you can guess, there's still a shit ton of speculation that this was not in any way an accident. Well, that and... actually makes sense because I later I Googled like about her death and I got a bunch of stuff that I think was referencing this. Yep. So in 2020, a Newport native uh, reporter named Peter Lance reinvested the reinvestigated the case in a Vanity Fair article. So like in my mind, I pictured that this dude got super fucking bored during quarantine and was yeah. like, you know what? I, I don't fucking trust that Duke bitch. You know? What I mean? Yeah, I'm going to solve this. So that's what I'm imagining. Right. So he initially found that the police file like on the case as well as all of the transcripts from the wrongful death suit were missing from the archives where they were supposed to be kept. After a few months, he the documents like were uncovered. They turned up. There was no clarification into that. Lance discovered that the investigation had been cursory at best and was basically full of all of these conflicts of interest. So remember Dr. M? Yep. This is what gets fucking crazy. So just before he'd arrived at the hospital, literally just before he got there, Duke had hired him as her personal physician. Okay. Which meant that anything that she told him was protected under doctor-patient privilege. So she was literally like, can you call the acting medical examiner? Yes. I want to hire him. Correct. And because of the money, she could fucking do that. Right. Uh, He also found that Duke's account of the incident had changed multiple times throughout whatever interviews and, like, like talks that she had given. Mm -hmm. It was completely inconsistent with the evidence at the scene, like I said. So, for example, first off, the parking brake could not have been released the way that she said it had, and all of Torella's injuries were above his waist, which suggests that he was not trapped between the car and the gates when it broke through. Okay. That it was like, he was like, hit head on. Because if you had been, like, pushed against the gates, your, like, whole waist and below would right. be crushed by the car. Yeah, because that's it's not, like, I looked up a picture of a Dodge Polaris, a lower car. 
Mm-hmm. So you would imagine that it would be waist down, but all of his injuries were waist up. The deep grooves left by the Polaras rear tires in the gravel also suggested considerably more acceleration than what might have resulted from like just depressing on the gas pedal. So like I've done that before where you like hit, accidentally hit the gas yeah. instead of the brakes and you like lurch forward and then you stop. Yeah. So the grooves that were taken, like the pictures that they took of the grooves indicated that they were way more like way deeper, which mm-hmm. shows more acceleration. And I also had like this whole um what is it called? My cousin Vinny moment. Do you remember have you ever seen that movie? I have not. Oh girl, it's so good. She like <laughs> The girlfriend goes into this like whole scene about like the different types of suspension and the tires and like everyone's underestimating her. It's it's fantastic. Okay. You should probably really like it. So that was the vibe I got. So Lance, as well as several other experts who reviewed the evidence, ultimately concluded that this was way more likely that Duke had deliberately run Torella over just out of pure rage at his decision to leave her for Hollywood. Okay. And that the evidence would be way more consistent with Doris Duke running him down just outside of the gates. So the gates were open. Mm-hmm. And she fucking went and, like, got him down. Yeah. Once he had been flung over the hood of her car, he came to rest in the road, and then Duke proceeded to run him over, which is what resulted in his death. So she hit him hard enough to knock him into the road and then drove over his body. Then shit got even more sus after the investigation itself was closed back in the 60s. So this is where it comes up with what you were saying earlier with all of the, um, whatchamacallit? philanthropy that she was doing yeah so first off duke began making considerable philanthropic contributions to the city of newport including the repair of cliff walk which was like right around her estate which she'd previously like refused to like fix okay um and that whole area had been like a source of like conflict between her and the city because her dogs like repeatedly attacked tourists there which, like, <laughs> I kind of laughed at because I was like, that's actually kind of cool. I mean, it's not yeah. cool to have dogs that attack people. But, like, could you imagine being so fucking wealthy? You're like, whatever. And I'm imagining, like, Pomeranians, but it could have been, like, Dobermans for all Maybe I know. Maybe it was her camels. Oh, shit. Maybe it was her camels. And her camels were named dog. Yeah. That's very possible. She just that's called them call. all her dogs. Yes. <laughs> there was no difference. Um, <clears throat> Next, $10,000 had been given almost immediately to the hospital that she had been taken and treated in. The night of the accident. Okay. On top of that, within months of the quote unquote accident, she established the Newport Restoration Foundation, which has since renovated 84 of the city's colonial era buildings, pretty much all on her dime. And finally, this is what fucking kills me the most. The police chief at the time of the incident was able to retire to Florida within a year. He bought two condominiums for himself off of his police chief salary in Newport, which I can't fathom was big enough for him to fucking buy two condos in florida he was then succeeded as chief by the detective who had investigated the incident instead of his boss who was supposed to be the next in line for the job so Hmm. a lot of fucking people getting paid off yeah so the belief today persists that in like there was some type of cover-up that was facilitated by duke and her people like giving basically like blood money and the reporter Lance has since released a book titled Homicide at Rough Point, which details the idea that Duke was, quote, I love this line, a living Cruella DeVille. She was notoriously paranoid. Hey, she liked dogs. I know that. So I know. But again, She's I'm actually in, I do. I do picture her as Cruella. Just. Yeah. Just like a reverse like, Cruella. Yes. 
But like she like wanted dogs and camels or right. she wanted them for fur. We don't actually really know. That's true. So she was a quote living Corolla to fill. <laughs> she was notoriously paranoid, stingy, hyper jealous in her rages, incredibly troubled, driven by booze and barbiturates. And ultimately, Lance claims that Doris Duke undoubtedly got away with murder. Yeah. And I was not fucking thinking I would run into anything like this when no. I did research on her. I was just like, oh, I've been to Duke Farms. There's flowers there. Nope, this bitch murdered somebody. And I, I don't want to say I stan it because, like, you know, I don't support yeah. murder. Right? But, yeah, like, she, she didn't. I feel like had he been, like, a really dick guy or something, I'd be down. But, like, all he did was quit his job. Yeah, I think I stand this idea that she was, like, this erratic fucking disaster of a human being. Like, I love it as a character. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. I don't, like, again, I will continue to go on record as saying I do not support murderers. Murderers. Yeah. But, you know, I just think that it's such an interesting story to add to her already really fucking weird life. Yeah. So. So that's the death of Eduardo Torella, and I loved pretty much every second of research yeah i loved that that was great (laughs) so now we're gonna get to doris's death so (laughs) she lives to be you know like a nice old age so in 1992 is when it kind of starts to go downhill best year though because that's when i was born i'd argue the 1991's just like a touch better but we'll uh we'll beg to differ (laughs) so she's 79 and she goes in for a facelift ofs and she... I wish you guys could see the face I'm making right now. I'm cringing. Oh, <laughs> awful. She goes in for a facelift. And when she's in recovery, she's still like really heavily medicated. And she gets up and tries to walk around. Right. Kind of in this like haze. Mm-hmm. And she falls. She breaks her hip. Oh, shit. And that kind of leads to some other problems where she the next year needs her knee replaced in 1993. So this yeah. is just kind of when she starts having like normal old people health issues right this is what happens it's like when you renovate a house like once yes. one thing gets opened up and all these problems start it never stops exactly so she falls breaks her hips her hip the next year goes in for a knee replacement is hospitalized for like two months for this knee replacement mm-hmm. and then ends up needing a second surgery later in the year to repair something okay so in october she comes home from surgery and has a severe stroke the next day. Oh, shit. So she dies on October 28th, 1993, at 80 years old, um, at Falcon's Lair, her Beverly Hills home. Wow, she really had, like, a... She suffered the last year of her life. Yeah, she had a pretty rough, like, last year. Karma's a bitch. Uh, yeah. Well, so she she's ruled as having died from a pulmonary edema resulting in cardiac arrest. So, like, very normal cause of death. For an 80-year-old who's just had a bunch of surgery, right? Right. Within 24 hours, she's cremated and her butler, Bernard Lafferty, scatters her ashes in the Pacific Ocean, which is what's laid out in her most recent will. Okay. Um, I say her most recent will. She was really known for, like, changing her will and her trusts all the time. Like, she constantly was changing them. 24 hours is pretty quick turnaround time. We'll get there. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, and so this is like kind of a boring way to die for a not boring person. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. But there's a lot of rumors that it was suicide or it was murder or all these different things. Mm, okay. Um, And so we'll get into it when I talk about like how her trusts and wills are kind of distributed. But there's some people who think she didn't actually die of this natural cause. Okay. Um, I thought you were going to say people think that she didn't actually die. And I was yeah, like, oh, she like Elvis. Like she's yes. still fucking out there. Exactly. 
a hundred and almost 110 years old yeah (laughs) so at the time of her death um there's like what was her net worth what did she have um i literally started this with time to be john ralphio voice depressed because that's how i feel exactly (laughs) oh yeah that's my favorite voice to do (laughs) so like i said when her father died he had had a fortune of about a hundred million dollars um most of which went to her and her mother and so eventually her right okay her mother was actually really good with money and so by the time her mother died she had an estate valued at 250 million dollars wow which was split between her and other the mother's other children right yeah um and so in addition to that doris ended up with stake in a number of large companies including general motors Oh, wow. And like I mentioned... Oh, shit. Especially during that time. That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. She hated managing her money. So, like, her money was very well taken care of and invested and used. But she had a team of financial people who did this for her. Right. Really, the only thing she was, like, hands-on with was investments that were physical things, like art. Okay. So, her art collection, while a lot of it and the things she was really passionate about were the Asian and Islamic artwork... She also owned originals by Picasso, Van Gogh, Rembrandt, and Monet. Oh, that's so, so like, fucking cool. Those were worth a ton. She yeah. also owned over 2,000 bottles of rare wine that were alone worth over $5 million. Holy shit. Good for her. Yep. Damn. Um, and a collection of family jewelry that had been passed down, like fine jewelry. And so the, the current version of her net worth, including all of her property and all of her belongings, is about $5.3 billion at the time Still of her death. Still pennies. I mean, yes, but faces. I will take it. But wow. <laughs> so that's about what they're dealing with when she dies. So obviously there's a lot of contention about what to do with it. So she, like I mentioned early on, had been the beneficiary of two trusts from her father set up really early on. So in 1917 and 1924. So she was a little kid, but when they were set up, the there was a provision in place that the income from those, any remaining income after her death, was payable to her children. Mm. Like you said, she had no living children, right? She right. had a daughter who lived for one day and no other children. Yeah. But <laughs> in 1988, so when Doris was 75 years old, she adopted a 35-year-old woman named Shandi Hefner. Um, Shandi Hefner was the sister of the third wife of this millionaire she knew named Nelson Peltzman. I just want to like comment super fast. Yeah. You called her Shandi, which sounds so much more like beautiful and like just like unique. And I was calling her Chandy. Like she was some I mean- like trailer park. <laughs> like not that there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was like, oh, I don't shit. know which is right. Um, I like Shandy. Yeah, in my head, I read it Shandy. Hey, I'm Chandy. Like that's like what I heard in my head. So, but Shandy makes a lot more sense. So, yeah. Well, and so with yours, Shandy. She was a a Hari Krishna devotee, and so she introduced Doris to a lot of things like Tai Chi and these different things. Again, kind of the Asian cultures that she was very interested in. This Mm -hmm. was a connection to them. So she straight up adopts this 35 year old woman. And I literally, I just want to know, like, is there an app where I can find a childless millionaire who will adopt Um, me as an adult? I think you have to like go to sugardaddy.com. I feel like that's the equivalent. I will do that. Or like only (laughs) at this point in life. I don't know though. I mean, there has to be something. How do I get adopted by a rich childless person? 
You have to be really fucking bored to go out and adopt a 35-year-old person. Right. Now, and this is probably a sign of some, you know, unresolved issues that for the for a long time Doris Duke maintained that Hefner was the reincarnation of Arden, her child who had okay. died. I did read that and that actually makes me very sad. Yeah, it's a little sadder when you think of it that way. She like felt that this connection and thought that. But they yeah. ultimately, before her death, had a falling out. Mm. And so in the final version of Doris Duke's will. It specifically says that Shandi Hefner should not benefit from these trusts and negated the adoption, right? It basically said, do not treat her as my child. But that's not really how adoption works. <laughs> I just like, I still don't understand. How do you adopt an adult? I mean, you can. I know, but like, but, what does that mean? Uh, that you're in the will. <laughs> that's gotta be it. But can't you just put anybody in the will? Why can't I mean, you be yeah. like, I'm gonna put her in the will? But I guess it's yeah, like but then there's mental like, thing. Right, because she says explicitly like, She's not to benefit, but there's a whole lawsuit about it. And because right. she was adopted, she is legally Doris's daughter and she gets a settlement for a portion of the will, right? Because she's next of kin. That's crazy. Yeah. She gets $6 million, $6.5 million, which is not a ton in the grand scheme of things. Right. In the 90s, that's like, yeah. Yeah, but I'll take it. I mean, listen, I'm never going to shoot down any kind of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the final version of her will leaves almost all of the money to either new charitable foundations or ones she had already formed. Mm -hmm. And she names her butler, so Bernard Lafferty, who I mentioned scattered her ashes. Right. This is her butler. She names him executor of the estate. And then an organization called the U.S. Trust Company is named as a co-executor. Um, so he, like one rando and then like an actual company. Yeah. And he had been okay. with her for like 10 years and worked for her um as her butler and they had a good relationship okay so it's him and then this company is there to kind of do the like official part right but obviously there's a bunch of lawsuits that are kind of come up and some people think bernard lafferty killed her um for the money so he has provided i think i saw five million dollars and then like a yearly allowance of like fifty thousand or something like that wow and so some people think he killed her so there's a number of lawsuits the first one Filed by a man named Harry Demopoulos, and he had been named the executor. Mia Thermopolis? Yeah, Mia Thermopolis. <laughs> he had been named an executor in an earlier version of the will. And so he challenged the appointment of Bernard Lafferty and kind of said he tricked like an old sick woman into giving him control. Mm -hmm. But remember, she was known for changing her will all the time. But he kind of said like this last change wasn't right. Right. In addition to that, there is a nurse named Tammy Payette, and she came forward and said that Bernard Lafferty and a doctor conspired to kill her and that they administered her way more morphine and Demerol than she should have been given mm. um, to the point where it was like a massive overdose. Right. Um, and so she would come forward and say that she saw that happen. They did ultimately rule there's no foul play after Lafferty had died. Right. Um, but, you know, who knows? And he was there was quoted, quotes where he said he was like, you know, they always want to say the butler did it because it sounds good. But I didn't even think of that. That's I mean, actually either. really funny. It was. Yeah, I liked when I saw that. One thing that I know I found was they declared her cause of death as right strokes that caused a heart failure. Mm -hmm. um, but they never did an autopsy because her body was cremated within a day of her death. Well, yeah, that's actually what I was just thinking. Yeah. Like 24 fucking hours, like I said, is a fast turnaround. And so yeah. there's no chance to be like, well, we should take the body. Like, and you can't exactly. even say she's buried 
exhume her and shit. Exactly. And she was Crazy. like, even her ashes were spread in the ocean. Like they weren't getting them back. Um, and that's what she wanted in her will. Yes. She did say that in her will. But if you go with the theory that he was exerting some control, he could have put that in the will, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so there, there's some question around that. And he was, before he died, ultimately removed as the executor. And I thought okay. it was interesting. They cited that he was using the funds to support himself. But I'm like, but they gave Homeboy $5 million. Like, was he not fine? But whatever. Um, I mean, if you have a, like, I guess how fast can you blow through $5 million if you don't know how to actually invest in shit? I guess true. And yeah. so, in addition, the, the U.S. trust company was also removed for, like, quote, not stopping him for like allowing him to and so it's a vague thing yeah the surrogate court of manhattan came in and overrode the will and appointed new trustees including mia thermopolis um (laughs) (laughs) and like a number of other people and so i'll get to what they do but one other lawsuit was duke university actually filed a lawsuit and at this point in my research is when i was like oh duke university and they basically said, we're- Wait, this is the end of your research. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> exactly. It's like the like one of the last sections of bullet yes, points. Yes, it's the end I'm of the page. Yep. Holy no, shit, this is that's what I figured so that funny. Out. That's incredible. But basically, they claimed they were entitled to more than the $10 million she left them. And so, and again, you know, her father had left a rather large endowment. It was named Mm -hmm. after the grandfather, ultimately, is where Duke came from. Though a fun fact that I could not find explored enough was that she had a provision in her will that said anyone in this will who disputes the provisions gets nothing. Oh. But I think they it must have not been, like, legally binding or honorable or whatever, because the adopted daughter disputed and got a settlement. Right. And I wonder if that's something you can like legitimately do because like obviously like you might dispute any of it like not just right. your component but just any of it so yeah so it, yeah and even like the guy the guy ex- disputing the executor so it seems like they didn't hold to that even though she tried and so there's like a years long lawsuit involving Duke um where they hi- they had forty different lawyers um like 10 different firms it tied up all the money for years and years i think ultimately there was a settlement of some sort yeah there usually is um and the estate ended up having to pay 10 million dollars in legal fees for that wow so once all that was done the num there's like a number of trustees that got appointed and they control all assets of what became the doris duke charitable foundation and this is kind of her yeah. like overarching foundation um yeah. i know you're going to talk about some of it but I, mm-hmm. I liked, again, with her kind of varied interest, it was like, which is dedicated to supporting medical research, anti-vivisectionism, which is um, not using animals for live experiments. Oh, I thought it was something about a vasectomy, so. Good, no. Thank you for clarifying what that I was. I Googled because... it, because I was like, a vivisection is like, when you, um, oh God, what's the word? When you like dissect animals, you know? So it's anti-that on like live oh. animals yep you're right you're right got it prevention of cruelty to children and animals the performing arts wildlife and ecology so like Mm. again kind of a range within that foundation there's separate ones that operate her homes but those have kind of diminished over the years they've pulled a lot of funding they even sold duke gardens ultimately yeah i actually have some stuff on duke uh, okay Duke farms too 
-hmm. And then the last thing I found, which I'm glad you have a section left because this is like so depressing when I looked it up, is there's two living heirs of the Duke family. Okay. Um, And it's twins Georgia Inman and Walker Patterson Inman III, which is actually interesting because I was trying to figure out. So they are Doris's nephew's children. So her great niece and nephew. But How did she have a nephew? So her mom. Oh, previous. previous right. So like Patterson Inman mm-hmm. was the mother's married name before. Right. And so okay. these are the grandchildren of the mother's other child. Right. Yes. And so, okay. again, this is entirely by marriage. These people weren't related to the Duke family until they married in. Right. Um, but they're the remaining people. They're fairly young today. And their life fucking sucked. Like, uh. so I was reading current articles about them. I mean, the quote on Wikipedia is, their life was a tragedy of grotesque neglect, abuse, parental violence, violence, and addiction. Oh my god! Um, so let's see. They were fifteen in twenty thirteen, so they're like early twenties now. Holy shit! They're really young. Yeah, and they were known as like there was articles calling them the poorest rich kids in the world. And so they talk about like they grew up in you know a ten thousand square foot mountain retreat and a big plantation. They had pet lion clubs, cubs, and would go <laughs> snorkeling. I was like, wait, there's clubs for no, people cubs. Have fucking lions. I was like, no, Jesus, how many people are there? Wow. But they were, quote, they they described what they had as a, quote, slave-like childhood being locked in a basement filled with feces and scalded by <gasps> boiling baths. Oh, my God. Like, and so they were raised mostly by nannies, but their father, um, their father, who was the nephew, was a heroin addict who got custody of the children when they were two. He had a bunch of, you know, he had a bunch of wives, ultimately died of an overdose. They moved in with their mother, who was not good to them. Like, they have this terrible, terrible life from everything I can find. Oh, my God. This is Yeah, and they're the only living heirs of this family today. So. Are they, like, cool? do they have any money? Like, do they get anything? Yeah, so they have trusts that they get when they turn 21, which they would have at this point. Okay. Um. And the most recent, like, profile I found was, like, 2013 seems to be when they did a big one. But I did see that they later lost some some lawsuits. And their father um, blew through a lot of the money because he was an oh, addict. Oh, I'm sure. I can't fucking imagine um, how much money he must have blown through. And so, like, they sued <sighs> whatever bank oversaw the trust. They ultimately sued because they said that they shouldn't have been distributing money to the father because he was yeah. a, quote, junkie. Um, he was living on, like, $160,000 a month and, you know, blowing through it all. Holy um, shit. And so they filed a suit that they did not win. So I don't think... So this last thing I see is from 2016. And it says the twins stand to collect whatever's left of the $60 million when they turn 21. Okay. So I don't think they're poor, um, but they're not nearly as rich as their family had been. Yeah. And honestly, all that money needs to be pulled into fucking therapy because that sounds yeah, that's, terrible. Their profiles are all quotes about like, yeah, we were rich, but like that doesn't it's always matter. What Dr. M said, it causes fucking handicaps. Yeah. Wow. That's so sad. Yeah. So that's my like depressing way to end this is that's the last living heirs. <sighs> Dude, you said that it was depressing, but I was like, oh, a bunch of rich people didn't get as much money as they wanted. Yeah, but no, no, it was not good uh, for them. And not so, and because she had no children, there was no one else. So it's just, just them. Yeah. 
I wonder if they're wow. single. <laughs> Find out, man. <laughs> Google it. Find them on, like, I don't know, Facebook. I couldn't find okay. any recent stuff. <laughs> I wonder if they're, you know, single. I mean, <laughs> go for it. Just, do it. Just, just don't let them know we did this episode. <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to end this off on a hopefully a bit of a lighter note. Please. Um, so in we, we're going to talk about her philanthropy and then I'll talk a little bit about Duke Farms. So we're going to have to go kind of back just a little bit because the philanthropy is something that was consistent throughout her like life um, that she was supposedly known for. So I'm going to talk about a couple different like stages. So oh my god, wait, wait, I need to back up. I was googling. Oh my these god, people, did you find them? No, but I was like, he looks familiar. I saw this episode of Doctor Phil. They were on Doctor Phil. They were on Doctor Phil. Yes. What doesn't that man do? I don't. Other know. than have a doctoral degree and he has a he has a PhD or whatever. Does he? He has whatever, like, you need to be called a doctor. What? He's not a medical doctor. Dr. Phil have? Yeah, he has <laughs> a doctorate in clinical psychology. Oh. But his license isn't up to date. Oh. He's 70? Right? Looking good. Wow. To be Look honest. Him. The are the, uh, are the kids, oh, this is gross. Are the twins cute? I don't no. know how to ask this. Okay. No, they weren't. Like, like sixty not million hideous. dollars cute. Yeah, they're like... not sixty million dollars cute. <laughs> okay, okay, but All I right, can well, I can overlook that. I kind of want to watch this Doctor Same, I the Doctor gonna... Who episode, uh, and yep. I met Doctor Phillips. <laughs> Good, <laughs> Jesus, I need to finish this episode. Okay, oh. so her first major philanthropic act was to establish what was called the Independent Aid Incorporated in 1934. She was 21 years old, and it basically was developed in order to, like, manage all of the different requests for financial assistance that were addressed to her. So it basically was, like, the catch-all for anybody that was like, I need help, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. It was, like, her checking account, basically. (laughs) Basically, her philanthropic checking account, which is unbelievable uh, to even, like, conceptualize. Mm -hmm. Uh, When she... Uh, in the 1950s, so 1958, this is when she established established the Duke Gardens Foundation uh, to, quote, endow the public display gardens that she started to create at Duke Farms, which is in Borough. And the foundation basically intended that Duke Gardens reveal the interests and philanthropic aspirations of the Duke family, as well as an appreciation for other cultures and a yearning for global understanding. Sure. Um, and I will come back to this at the end because this is going to be actually a more recent area of not contention but like kind of like a shitty part of it less than 10 years later in 1963 this was really fucking cool so she funded the construction of the maharishi mahesh yogi's ashram on that was on land that was leased from the state forestry department um of Uttar pradesh in india okay the only reason i say this is cool is because this is the ashram where the beatles later studied oh. five years later and this is like a there was like a whole meditation thing and so she actually helped fund that and the beatles later went to study meditation and that's probably cool. get super high and like have their you know like awakening or whatever they called it so like i said earlier back when i was explaining her murder um not her murder the murder she did not her murder okay <laughs> which is <yeah>. different <laughs> The one where she, she was not murderer, not the murdery. 
Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So she created the Newport Restoration Foundation with the supposed goal of preserving more uh, than 80 colonial buildings throughout the town. So in Newport, uh, she befriended the former first lady, Jackie O., who became the vice president of the Newport Restoration Foundation, uh, and she publicly supported the foundation. Uh, Duke was also friends with Andy Warhol. Um, Wait, is Andy Warhol bad? I think so. Aren't they all? I'm sure he's a man. Is Andy Warhol bad? Who's the one that was like, who's the one that was like really fucking gross? I don't know. Maybe Andy I'm pretty Warhol. sure there was like. Probably. I don't know. There was one guy. Oh shit. Who's the guy that's like, that like sexually harassed all those women? That doesn't not narrow Andy it Warhol. down. It's... <laughs> There's only been a few, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> shit, I can't remember his name. It's not Andy Warhol. He's, it's someone similar. I don't know. Oh, fuck. I'm so mad. I, like, why can't I remember this shit? I'm going to remember it tonight right before I fall asleep. <laughs> anyway. Um, well, because wasn't, um, wasn't Andy Warhol gay? Like, not that you can't be bad if you're gay, but it seems like it would not be women. Right. Um, maybe. Uh, did. What do I Google here? Did Andy <laughs> Warhol get shot? Um, uh, what's the word? Not molest women. No, it's someone else. It's some. it's someone okay. in that like genre. Anyway. Okay. Like obscure fucking sixties art or whatever. So I think this is kind of when I was like, we don't really know if this is philanthropic or like I'm paying off the city of Newport to keep me the fuck out of jail. Yeah, fair. Um, but on top of that, her extensive travels led to an interest in all different cultures. Like you were saying, uh, she amassed a considerable collection of Islamic and Southeastern art, like you said. And so the pieces were donated to the Asian Art Museum of San Francisco and the Walters Art Museum of Baltimore. Uh, she did a lot of in- additional philanthropic work, a uh, major benefactor of medical research, child welfare programs, like you said. She also donated $2 million to Duke University to be used for AIDS research. And her foundation- And these people indif- still sued her, dead her. I know. <laughs> um, a couple years later, too. Uh, dead her. <laughs> and then <laughs> her foundation that I mentioned earlier, Independent Aid, became the Doris Duke Foundation. Right. So- a continuation of her checking account. Yeah. Um, and then after her death, the Doris Duke Charitable Foundation was established in 1996, supporting four national grant-making programs and her three estates, Shangri-La, Rough Point, and Duke Farms. So this is where I'm going to end on a happy flowery note. Literally. Uh, just a little. A little yes, literally. Uh, a little history on Duke Farms. So starting in 1893, Buck Duke Doris's father started to buy land next to the Raritan River in rural New Jersey. Uh, his ultimate vision was to create a farm similar to those in North Carolina, where he'd grown up, hence Duke University. I'm just reminding oh. you. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm getting it. I'm getting it. I, I have to actually say, I'm going to just come clean. You said the whole like Duke University thing. And I need you to know that like for the first couple years that I taught in Hillsborough and I heard Duke Farms. I distinctly remember thinking and saying to people, oh, that's so cool. Like, I wonder if there's any connection to Duke University. Like, I wonder, like, you does go. Duke University know that Duke Farms exists? And I'm sure they fucking do. Yeah, I think they do. They do now. Yeah, they do now. Um, They duke now. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> he hired a huge number of architects and engineers to basically build this dream of having this, like, North Carolina farm in the middle of New Jersey. Um, he was able to assemble about 2,700 acres of farm and woodlands uh, that ultimately contained 45 buildings, nine lakes, 18 miles of roads, 810 acres of woodlands, 
464 acres of grassland, bird habitat, and 1.5 miles of stone walls. When he died in 1925, obviously Doris gained control of the property, and it was actually after she sued her mother. So I think, like you said, her mother had control of it, and then she gained control, Mm -hmm. and then she basically lived there. Uh, So she restored it and moved in at the age of 15, and pretty much for her whole life, that was pretty much the property she was the most invested in, like you mentioned. Yeah. Um, This is actually where she incorporated the innovative ecological farming methods that she learned from Louis Bromfeld, uh, which is the farm that he set up to be like a conservationist farmer. Um, And then she also had the unique botanical display in the Horace uh, Trumbauer Conservatory that you were talking about, which is like all of these different botanical creations that are representative of all different parts of the world. Um, And so when she died in 1993... Um, right was it 93 yeah yeah so 93 uh duke farms became owned by the duke farms foundation or the dff for the people on the on the inn i don't know who the fuck calls it that but um (laughs) (laughs) and that was established in 1998 to manage the estate and the foundation the duke farms foundation is a part of the doris duke charitable foundation so it's a lot of fucking foundations and boards and d's and shit uh, so the decision was ultimately made to renovate the estate, quote, as a model of environmental stewardship in the 21st century and to inspire visitors to become informed stewards of the land, quote. It also reorganized the estate. Um, so during that time, there really wasn't a lot accessible to the public. Then in 2008, the DFF created some major controversy because it permanently closed Duke Gardens and demolished the indoor display gardens that had been created by Doris Duke herself. Which was like a huge fucking deal. It, yeah. Like historical conservationists were like, what the fuck? It only gets worse. So over the years, the DFF then created new indoor and outdoor display gardens. They are still eco-friendly. They still have native plants. They're wheelchair wheelchair accessible, but ultimately they are not the original gardens that Doris like what, cultured herself. Yeah. yeah. There's also I don't fucking know. I don't know how I get into the most random history. So like <laughs> In the process of rehabilitating this area, there were a lot of invasive foreign plants that were removed from the area, including Norwegian maples and Asian uh, ailanthus, and they were replaced by native species, which was a big part of what the ultimate conservationist, I mm-hmm. guess, goal was to like make it more natural. Okay. Um, let's see. The property has two champion trees. <laughs> That's right. Not one, but two, two. fucking champion trees, Sarah. A northern <laughs> red oak, which is the tree of New Jersey. Okay. And an Amor cork tree. I've never fucking heard of that tree. No. I'm so sorry if I destroyed I, that. I, sorry for all the Amor corks that stamps. I just... Yeah. <laughs> that I just infuriated. <laughs> so this is where it's kind of continuing to be more and more... Like public base, but also like controversial. So on May 19th of 2012, Duke Farms opened to the public and there was a $45 million renovation. It now included 30 endangered species, 230 variants of birds, some of which are the great blue heron and the bald eagle, which is actually true. And I've seen a few there and they're fucking beautiful. Also, as part of the rehabilitation, the conservatory and the greenhouses known as Orchid Range were renovated. They became more energy efficient. The farm barn was remodeled to become the orientation center. And this is where my teacher heart breaks the most because I love looking at old houses and shit. In 2016, and I distinctly remember when this was happening because I remember it being a huge fucking deal. And I had just started teaching in the district like two years before. And I was like, 
Mm-hmm. What is everyone freaking out about? The mansion where she lived was demolished really? in order to open up the north side of the property. Yeah. And there were a lot of people who had some major issues with that. And people were like totally devastated because previously they had done tours. Yeah. But today the property hosts things like uh, you could do farmer's markets. Um, uh, fun fact, I had a therapy session there once. Ooh. My therapist was like, you want to go for a walk and do farms? And I was like, can I cry during it? And we did. <laughs> and it was great. You are not allowed to take engagement photos there. You're not no fucking idea why. No. So if you get like if you get proposed to there, fine, but you can't have a professional photographer. Gotcha. I mean, I guess I don't know if I'm assuming you can get engaged there. I mean, but like you can't have like a professional yeah. take any pictures. Can and you yeah, do other photo beautiful. shoots there or is it just engagement? I don't think so. Right, like, I don't think you can do any professional okay, photo that shoots. That makes more sense than just like. <laughs> yeah. Doris Duke didn't believe in love. Yeah. Fuck that. If you, <laughs> the actual rumor is if you take engagement pictures there, your marriage will be haunted by her. Like, <laughs> I like that. That makes me want to take engagement pictures there. <laughs> I know. Me too. Eric, wrap it up. We're taking new <laughs> engagement pictures. We need to be haunted by Doris fucking Duke. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Doris Duke. That's our special, uh, we're going to end on a high note with our dedication it. to an upcoming marriage. I, I feel like there should be a Taylor Swift song about her. Like, right. I'm it's very last great American dynasty. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh my. And it's Newport. Yeah. It Newport? Yeah. Rhode Island. Well, yeah. it's, it's Rhode Island. I don't know where the Taylor Swift yeah. one is, but it's right. Rhode Island's not big. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's like one city. Two yeah. Max. Basically. <laughs> yeah so that's doris duke y'all i love her thanks for listening to this fucking wild i mean this episode was as erratic as she was yes so i mean there were ups there were downs there was murder there were flowers yeah there was vivisection vivisection mentioned Mm -hmm. so all the good stuff all the good stuff all right thanks for listening nerds Bye. bye thank you for listening to what the history Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WTHistoryPod. If you'd like to email us, you can do that at WTHistoryPodcast at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear feedback or episode ideas or anything else you have to say. You can support us on Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash WTHistoryPodcast and get exclusive access to even more nerdy stuff. Don't forget to tune in every Thursday when new episodes are released, and we will see you next time.